Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host... Michael Preston. It seems like the most apt introduction uh, that we can give because uh, it's just, it's a whole lot of careening into explosions and crap. And all kinds of stuff. And I think if you follow me on social media, you know I thought we could be able to do a show on Wednesday. And then I said, okay, well, Thursday, because things are developing. And then, oh boy, maybe we should wait until Monday. And even on Monday, even Mondays, we record this on Sunday evening. I don't know how current any of this is going to be whatsoever. That is how quickly things are changing in this 2020 world. I am Michael Preston. Welcome back to the Cook Center Hour. First show in like two months. We were busy having another producer welcomed into the world. My daughter, Riley Catherine Preston, is here and hungry and yelling a lot, as three-week-olds are wanting to do. But she is happy and she is healthy and she is the light of my life and I love her to pieces. Uh, Kyle Bonagura, who writes for ESPN, his expertise is in the Pac-12. He's going to join us here in a little bit to talk about, I mean, just everything going on. We have so, so much to get into. C.J. Ellaby declaring for the draft is like number a billion on our list at this point, which is insane to think because of how much of an effect that has on the on Wazoo's basketball team this fall if they are able to play. And I kind of feel like we are in Groundhog Day at this point where we last talked at the end of May when we had an interview with Nick Rolovich and we 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 have not had a show since then again we've been busy uh but I I feel like we're just we're back where we were again and that in two and a half months we have not gotten any further with the ability to confidently say hey we're going to be able to have a college football season And now as we are getting closer and as all these conferences continue to kick the can a little further down the road in the hopes of something changing, it seems like we're kind of getting to an inflection point. And I promise this all goes together when we're talking about the We Are United stuff and we're talking about the possibility of a postponed college football season or a canceled college football season altogether, all fall sports for that matter. That's really bad at Wazoo because the volleyball team's always good, and that's a soccer team coming off a college cup appearance with the number one overall forward in the country coming in as a freshman. But I, I, I think I want to start with the We Are United stuff, and I, you know, we saw some rumblings of that in the middle of July. I think Rudy Carpenter, of all people, uh, was the first to report about that. But I, I think what you saw... And the reason why you saw it come from the players then was 
they recognized that this was a time of maximum possible leverage. There is never a time when, or probably never will be a time again, when the players have this much leverage over the institutions that they play at. If the institutions, again, decided to go forward with playing football. And again, that all kind of ties together a little bit. and We will get to it, I promise. So I, I, I think, you know, obviously you saw some of the more outlandish demands. Um, you saw some of the bigger, you know, like like pie in the sky, insane, never going to happen demands come from these players. Like a 50% revenue share. That's just not going to happen. 50% revenue share to distribute evenly among athletes in the respective sports. That's just, that's not going to happen. It's just, that is, that is not something that's ever going to happen. But you also, I don't know how many of you have been in a deep in a negotiation before, but you don't start from where you want to get to. You start from beyond where you want to be or where you would be comfortable being so that you need to walk backwards because for so long, and you know what my position on this, if you've listened to this show with a neat level of consistency for the past number of years, is that the players are undercompensated. And again, the value of a scholarship is is so is such a moving target, and it's so ill-defined because it is only as valuable as the school says it is, and it's only as valuable as what you get out of it. And so many of these guys, are, and, and gals for that matter, are steered into majors that make it easier for them to make it to practice, to watch film, to to compete in athletic events so that the experience they're getting and the education they're getting is, while it's free, it's not necessarily equal to the one that their peers may be getting. But there aren't, there are things on here that are not like that outlandish, prohibit COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. No player should ever have to sign an agreement that says, if I get COVID-19, and I suffer, I have long-term heart damage that we are discovering some people have now, or at least short-term heart damage, short-term lung damage, that I should waive any liability to the school that's making me go out here. There's absolutely no reason they should ever do that. Larry Scott administrators, coaches, take, uh, they voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. That is something that should happen. College coaches are way overpaid, as is Larry Scott. He's paid more than any commissioner in college sports, which is, stupid it's really stupid ending performance and academic bonuses we've talked about that on this show before where why does a coach get a hundred thousand bucks if his team makes grades he didn't do that why does why does he get that money but of course you know again like we talked about and medical insurance is something we've also talked about on this show before that they that players need medical insurance after they graduate or after they leave school who is responsible for that in the case of transfers or whatever? I, you know, again, that's something to work out. But at the very least, they need medical insurance for after they leave school. And this is where we got into that. I guess the best way to put it is that hullabaloo with Cassidy Woods and the football coach Nick Rolovich. And where I, I want to start off by saying I don't. I think in this case that everyone can be right. It's been over a week. I, I still am having a hard time kind of figuring out where I land on this. I do tend to, again, if you listen to the show, side with players more because 
they are typically the ones with, you know, the thumb down on them more than coaches, more than administrators. But I, I want to start with an example of, 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 of something from my past. It is possible for employees or anybody who reports up to someone for a group of people to have drastically different opinions about that person that they report to. Cassidy Woods, Dallas Hobbs, Patrick Nunn, Lamonte McDougal. I'm trying to think of all the other guys that were at least kind of vocal um, about the We Are United thing. But they can have a different opinion about Nick Rolovich than Jihad Woods, than Skylar Thomas, than Oscar Trisovich. I have had that in the past. I had a boss who I adored. They were extremely tough on everybody, but they were fair. And they got a lot out of everybody, I felt. And when you did well, and when you... I don't think any of the expectations were outlandish. When you met those expectations, you were rewarded. Not, you know, not like monetarily, but you were given kudos and you were, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, given encouragement. And my coworkers detested this person. Could not stand to work for them. And again, I think it kind of comes back to, in this situation, I don't think... There is a party involved who is completely right, and I don't think there's a party involved who is completely wrong. I think Nick Rolovich and Pat Chun kind of stepped in it when they didn't need to. Um, and it seems like they were the only coach AD pairing in the conference to do so because we haven't had a, we haven't heard a thing from any of the other twelve schools. Now, granted, there weren't signatories to this "We Are United" uh, letter from every school in the conference, but of the ones who were. We have not heard from anybody. We did not hear about, you know, players, you know, and again, this is, we're all getting into a verbiage issue here. We didn't get told about, hear about players either being told they were cut or being sent home if they were opting out, whatever. Nick Rolovich and Pat Chun kind of stepped in this. In that recording of that conversation Cassidy Woods had with his head coach, Nick Rolovich is the one who brings it up. He doesn't need to. If Cassidy Woods asks him, Coach, what does this do for my eligibility next year? If I'm opting out for health reasons this year, what about next year? We'll have that discussion later. Not prepared to have that right now. He doesn't need to bring up the fact that if he's involved with this, we're going to take it differently. Yada, yada, yada. Doesn't need to do that. Nick Rolovich is entitled to his opinion. I have a feeling a lot of college football coaches are going to feel the exact same way. Because again, it's it's... It's taking the balance and the power structure that they currently enjoy away. These players are trying to do that. And I, I want to ask one important question because I saw a lot of questions about why Cassidy Woods would record that conversation and then release that conversation. Because it is illegal. It was illegal to record it. Washington is a two-party consent state. And if one of the parties is in Washington, you need consent to get to, for them to record it. Why does Cassidy Woods feel the need to record it? Because there must be a reason that he feels like he needs to record this. You don't typically just record all conversations with your coach. You don't just, like, as a matter of course, record every conversation you have with Nick Rolovich. Cassidy Woods must have 
felt like he needed to do that. I don't know why. The only reason I can speculate as to why is that in these types of situations, when it comes to who the public typically sides with, it's not with the player. They are usually going to default to the coach because you default to defending your institution. And Cassidy Woods is only going to be at Washington State for five years. Nick Rolovich could be there longer, but he's he's also the head coach of the university. He is the face of that team and of your fandom. So he maybe he records it because he feels like he needs kind of that, you know, that ace in, ace in the hole to say, no, look, this is what happened. And when he says on social media, like, look, I love Nick Rolovich and Pat Chun. I just don't agree with how they handled this. He is also allowed to think both of those things at the same time. I think that Nick Rolovich and Pat Chun could have handled this better. I think that addressing anything with the We Are United thing is something that is way above Nick Rolovich's, not pay grade necessarily, but it's way above something that he would need to deal with. That That is a Pat Chun, Kirk Schultz level of dealing with it. Those two need to deal with it, not Nick Rolovich. Pat Chun needs to... I, I, I think this is really the only time I can think of that Pat Chun didn't really handle something spectacularly. That he, he, he didn't do a very good job here. And I also understand, you know, the suspicion of why you would be suspicious of Cassidy Woods recording that and, re- and then releasing it to the news media. Because it feels like you're trying to undermine the guy who who I still really like. I think he, he really screwed up here. But all the goodwill Nick Rolovich has built up and everything we know about the guy just in the past few months, he took a voluntary pay cut before coaches anywhere in the country were doing that because of athletics deficits. It's, I still really like him. So, this is a complex situation that requires nuance that I hope I have conveyed a little bit of. Because I, my opinion at the end of this is still that everybody screwed up. Nick Rolovich and Pat Chun screwed up a little bit more than everybody else. But that it is also possible when you, you see people tweeting or you know on social media in support of the players who are supporting the coach and saying, see, he's a good guy. It's very possible to have two completely different opinions about the same person. I'm sure there were plenty of people Mike Leach coached in Pullman that had very different opinions about him. And that segues us rather nicely into now what we're going to talk to Kyle about here shortly. Is that, is there even going to be a football season this fall? Because the nice thing would be is that if there isn't, you just, you just kind of forget about this, right? Like this is just becomes whatever. No football season, whatever. But make no mistake about this. You can ignore anybody you hear on the radio, anybody you see on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you go for your college football news. This is not about keeping these players safe. This is not about, you know, uh, these players not catching this virus. Because it is true, they are in the age bracket that is least likely to be affected by it. What it's about are two things. It's about liability, and it's about giving the game away. And I'll start with the liability. It's a liability issue because let's say Washington State and let's say Whitman County 
is not having a hard time with the virus, right? Let's say, again, their case counts stay low, everything looks good, whatever. And then let's say Washington State, as they are scheduled to do now, they go down to Los Angeles and they play USC. And the kids on USC's football team have not been adhering to social distancing. They have not been good about staying isolated. They haven't been good about contact tracing. And they play a sport where they get sweat on a lot. And this virus gets passed through sweat and it gets passed through droplets. And let's say the football team brings that back with them to Pullman. And then as college students are wanting to do, they go out and party and they go out to bars and they go out and they socialize with people. And all of a sudden you have a swine flu level breakout that you had at Wazoo about 10 years ago, but with a virus that is, even though in that age bracket, it is not particularly deadly, it is still more deadly. And you have two hospitals in Pullman and Moscow and two major universities in those towns. That's a massive liability issue. And say, just on the off chance, Max Borgie gets it. And he gets sick enough that he has long-term damage to his respiratory system. And it completely tanks his professional chances. Who's going to be responsible for that money? Who's responsible for that? Because it's not going to be you and me. It's not going to be... No NFL team is going to pay him out of the goodness of their heart. It's going to be Washington State. He's going to come back. He may not, but somebody might. At these other schools might come back and say, you owe me money. But the more important thing that this is about, and again, I'm, I'm sure that schools are interested in keeping their students safe. But this gives the game away. Because Wazoo is full distance learning. They're still keeping the dorms open for people who need them. They're still keeping the cafeterias open for people who need them. And I know, I'm sure there's still going to be kids going back to Pullman because Lord knows I wouldn't want to be in college and living at home. I'd want to be in Pullman, especially if I signed an apartment lease. But what you are telling these student-athletes is that they are a different class of student. Is that it is not student-athlete, it is athlete-student. That you are required to be here, you are required to be on campus, you must be here, you must be in the building, and you must be traveling. That gives, it It just completely drops, the veil on, the extremely thin veil on amateurism is completely gone at that point. That is what this is about. Because colleges and their administrators and the rights holders for the TV contracts, they know that if this season is forced to go forward, if all the big five power five conferences say we are going to play football this fall, come hell or high water, it's going to happen. Then that's it. It's over. And the universities know this, that it's going to cost them more money down the road to pay these guys, to compensate them than it is to just cancel the season and call it a wash for a year. That is where we are at. This is this is not a issue of <laughs> it's not an issue of players' safety. Again, I'm I'm sure that they do want to keep people safe. But if you play this season, you are telling each of these football players that you are not just a student. And remember, that is 
what allows them to keep this up for, for over a hundred years is that it's student athlete, student first, student first, student first. They're going to school, student first. You are now admitting that that is not the case. You're admitting it. And if what we've seen from the Pac-12 players, from the Big Ten players, starts to spread out, now you're in trouble. The advantages schools have is most of these kids are only here for four years, and there are thousands of them, and they're not going to have the same opinions. Whereas the NFL, you've got what, like 1,500 players, and there's been a players union for a while. The minute you get a whiff of unionizing, it's over, man. Because I know there are people who say, well, then just go get players who don't care about that. The quality drop-off in the product is going to be so, so bad. You will not watch. I will not watch. And I've admitted in the past, if we go to a model where college just becomes a minor league, I don't know if I will watch. But that is what this is about. Don't don't let anybody tell you differently that oh they're just they're they're being over anal about them catching the virus or you know they're they're buying into the hype on it or yada yada yada. It is about money. It is always always about money. And that if you have a school that is going full distance learning like Washington State is or if you even have a school that's doing limited in-person. But it is the choice of the students to do that. If it is a choice for everybody else, you've given it away. It's too late. Kyle Bonagura from ESPN.com going to join us next. We're going to talk about all this stuff. And then eventually, we're going to talk about C.J. Ellaby. My goodness, again... Like, that was like when Rolovich was hired and we upset Oregon in basketball. How did Rolovich getting hired get knocked off the podium, the the gold medal finish of our show? C.J. Ellaby should have, like, that should have been number one. But it, it has been a week, my friends. Kyle Barnagura on the other side of the break here on the Coog Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour. I hope whatever advertisement that was, you went and bought it so I can take my wife to a nice steak dinner when restaurants finally open again. And I know Kyle Bonagura of ESPN.com. He specializes in covering the Pac-12. He also has an infant, and I know you would also like to be back in a restaurant right now because, as I've been told by many friends, it's like, oh, this is a great time to take a kid to a restaurant because they tend to sleep. And I go, cool, thanks. Great time to go to a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to take him out into the world at some point. That'll be yeah. fun. Restaurants, grocery stores, anywhere mm-hmm. really with other people would be a nice a change of pace. Uh, yeah, she's, she's... So I'm looking forward to that in the year 2025. <laughs> she's gone to, uh, mine's gone to a beer garden that was outside and six feet away from other people. So that, that's, that's been the biggest adventure we've had uh, so far yet. Uh, but Kyle, I wanted to get into kind of everything that we've been talking about on this show. And I, you know, we talked before we started recording here about, you know, this could all just change tomorrow anyway, because it's been so fast paced and changing. But um, one of the things I noted was with the, we are United movement from a, the PAC 12 players is that it, it really seemed like a time where the players had maximum leverage. There was no time more than right now that they had more of a thumb down on the school than they do in this moment. Is, is that kind of your read on it and why they chose to go ahead with this? Because that's what it seems like to me is that like, you know, we, we have this opportunity in front of us and we need to take advantage of it. 
Yeah, I think it, more than anything, really, is that with everything going on, um, and there's a, a, a number of factors, right? With, with, with all of those things happening at the same time, it really made it easy to gather and organize as a group. And because there were so many uniting factors that everyone uh, could buy into that were different from, you know, basically any other year uh, in recorded history, yeah. right? That uh, with, with all those factors happening at once, uh, you know, perfect storm, and allow these kids to get on the same page and be inspired and motivated enough to take action and try to um, pursue change in whatever avenue is important to them. So I think that's probably why we are where we are today. I know I've seen, you know, obviously a lot of players, I think we saw on Twitter today or on Sunday when we were recording this, a lot of players kind of using the hashtag of we want to play. Do you think that the movement is kind of undermined at all by, because I know with Jihad Woods and um, – and uh, Skylar Thomas at Wazoo specifically saying, like, look, we're just going to play. We don't care. We want to play. Uh, do, you, do you think it, it kind of hurts at all that they, they don't have complete unity on this across all fronts? But it's also kind of hard to get that. I mean, just even in the Pac-12, you're talking about having as many players on rosters in this conference as nearly the entire NFL. Yeah, we have a hard enough time right now in society having two people agree on anything. So to have an yeah. entire conference of 18 to 23-year-olds be on the pa- same page on something that is so complicated um, as this, it, you know, that was never going to happen. But I think you do have enough people, you know, enough players that are um, are behind it and are unified that it, it, it's a sizable enough number to, to really make an impact. And whether you're mm-hmm. talking about three, 400 players or whatever that's obviously not the entire conference but that's a significant chunk and enough people are involved uh to to make a difference of course you were never going to get you know a 100 percent buy-in and then people join the the kind of the movement for varying reasons as well i think a lot of the guys who showed their support showed their support because they wanted to back their friends and their uh you know the people they compete against and have respect for they didn't they 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 understood that the causes that the other guys are, are pursuing are important and uh, maybe they didn't want them to feel like they're out in an island and there's something to be said about solidarity and, 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 yeah. like, and here we are in 2020. So I think there's, you know, you got to look at it from a few different angles. And, and at the end of the day, they want to play football. Of course they do. It's what they love to do. It's what, you know, they went to their respective schools to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's fun. All yeah. of those things are, are, are a factor, but yeah, it's, 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 it's been interesting to see how, um, how the different opinions have surfaced for the last few days. What does kind of the conferences read on this, That at least from your tea leaf reading kind of in this situation? Because I know that, you know, the, the players here in, in their first demands when they wrote in the Players' Tribune is like, look, that that's not – they're not going to get all of that, obviously. But you don't start a negotiation from where you want to end up, right? You you, you start from beyond that point. What is What has kind of been your read on it from the Pac-12 standpoint? Because I know that – the players demanded daily meetings, and when Larry Scott finally met with them last week, they basically sent a letter basically saying, like, you botched this completely in the letter, uh, discouraged by the tone, tenor, and general unpreparedness of the Pac-12 leadership during our meeting. So kind of what are they thinking? Are they just kind of not taking this seriously, so to speak? My read on it is that the Pac-12 was kind of trying to run out the clock and right. delay, delay. Not necessarily delay, delay, but, like, not – attend to it immediately and make it an immediate priority. And there are a lot of other things going on they have to attend to right now. But the fact that the, the, the letter and they, the letter in the Players' Tribune was published Sunday, they also emailed Larry Scott Sunday of asking for the daily meetings. Uh, Scott got back to them Monday and, you know, 
gracious in, in writing, of course, uh, you know, said that they would, you know, consult with the conference uh, and, you know, prepare a response more or less and, mm-hmm. and, and set a time for later in the week. And the fact that he wasn't willing to do something as simple as, as take a Zoom meeting with these guys uh, the next day was, was a bad move on his part, unless, you know, from a PR standpoint, it just looks like he doesn't care about it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't have been a hard thing to grant for Larry Scott. You have a group of hundreds of football players, the guys who are making uh, the money for the conference, and, and you're not willing to meet with them under unusual circumstances. Like, that, that seems like it would have been pretty easy to grant. And so when he didn't grant them a meeting until Thursday, it already started, it, it already felt like, you know, the players, and I've talked to a few of them, um, a, a member of the leadership group, and they felt like he, he just didn't take it seriously from the start. So they kind of went in with a bad feeling about how serious the conference and Larry Scott were taking it. And then on Thursday, it's, you know, pretty well outlined in their letter how they felt. It, 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 it did not go well. Uh, there yeah. was, um, and it started out okay, as my understanding is, and I've talked with, you know, people familiar with the call. And it kind of, the more things progressed, the more frustrated I think both sides were getting and the shorter Larry was getting with the players and the more condescending he was getting with the players. And, uh, you know, telling a player, Nick Ford from Utah, that he was talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know, that's a bad move by him. He, you know, he told them that if if it's generational wealth that they're pursuing, they're wasting their time. They're not pursuing generational wealth. No. That's not what's happening. Anyone who understands uh, the basics of this knows that that's not the case. But I think it's interesting because Larry Scott's not a guy who's used to getting challenged. He surrounds himself by people who are going to say, yes, Larry, uh, what else can I do for you, Larry? That's yeah. the type of environment that exists at the Pac-12 conference. And so when you have uh, a, a bunch of players challenging them, um, he's not he's not used to that, and I, I don't think he responded well. Um, and certainly the players don't think he did. I would say or ask, you know, kind of where do we think this ends up when before fall camp is scheduled to start on August 17th, which is a week away. Um, but it kind of seems like at this point we're not really going to have <laughs> that problem, are we? Because... I mean, even even just today, Sundays we record this. The movement on this just this afternoon has been so quick that the consensus coming out of you know a lot of writers and their sources is that look, the Big Ten is probably going to pull the trigger on canceling the season because it really did seem like moving the start back to September 26th and going conference only was kicking the can down the road. Um, I, I I don't want to go point blank. Do you think it happens this week? Because it's been all moving so quickly. But generally, what are your feelings about the possibility of a college football season this fall? You know, every day for the last week, I've woke up and been more pessimistic about the odds of a football season happening. And, and you know, that's no different today. I, I would be at this point very, very surprised if there was yeah. college football in the fall. I just don't. The way things are headed, the the some of my colleagues today reported that the majority of the Big Ten presidents, um, uh, I don't know exactly what the phrase was, but indicated that they would, would or are about to vote against having a, a, a college football season. And I don't see an, any circumstance where the Big Ten opts out of football where the Pac-12 doesn't. Yeah. You just try to come up with one. It's, it's <laughs> just There isn't anything that really would make sense. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, especially with FCS already bowing out, that was that was uh, pretty important when when the FCS playoffs were canceled. UConn wasn't really a big deal, in, in my opinion, because they were an independent and basically everyone they were playing, their, their schedule was going to be so short anyways that, you know, but again, you know, that was a step in the wrong direction is, you know, for having a season, from mm-hmm. having a season standpoint. And then when the MAC dropped out, they became the first, that, that, that broke the barrier between FCS and FBS. And so now you have a, an FBS conference that says it's not going to play. Yeah. So if you have all these, uh, these lower level conferences deciding not to play, uh, they and they say it's for you know health and safety reasons. How how do you do it in the major conferences without admitting that uh, it's it's about money, right? Yeah. And sure, the the bigger the bigger conferences have better resources to uh, implement better COVID protocols, and that's you know that's not a small thing. But at the same time, it's probably not enough uh, not enough of a difference um, to you know, differentiate between yeah. having a season and not, right? Because uh, we're all talking yeah. with the same medical experts and those types. And, mm-hmm. you know, epidemiologists that I've been talking about for a story I've been reporting for months have been saying for months that they would be shocked if there was a college football season. Yeah. So this, this didn't come out of nowhere for the people in, in the medical field. I wanted to touch on something uh, you said in there because it kind of ties into what Dallas Hobbs said on uh, Outside the Lines on ESPN earlier this week where he, you know, he said, like, look, I'm very happy with – the protocols at Washington state. Um, you know, I think everybody, I'm, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, we're, we're very happy with how the university has been handling it, but they're not happy. Again, this group of players necessarily with how it's being handled across the conference at all of the member institutions. So I, I think that's probably another issue, right? Is that it's not like, you know, the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or more disastrously, the MLB where, you can force those teams into having a uniform policy where you've got 120 institutions across 50 states. How the heck do you get anybody to do anything the exact same way? That's that that is really the long and short of it here, right? Yeah, and it, it was always confusing to me why people thought the conference only schedules was going to make a sizable difference, right? Especially mm-hmm. when you have these large geographic footprints. Because that's that's part of it too is the travel involved and being outside of your your, your comfort zone. But the, well, how it was explained to me at the time is, if you are playing teams in your own conference, you can set a, a standard for uh, you know health and safety COVID protocols within a conference. In theory, was mm-hmm. the idea that at least you know that the teams you're going to be playing are operating under the same guidelines that you are, and that there's a level of comfort that comes with that, right? And it really hasn't played out that way. There is basically how it works is there's N, like NCAA uh, protocol, there's uh, the Pac-12 protocol, and then there's like local health you know, guidelines that everyone has to follow. But those are basically a floor. And yeah. it's not and, – and it's one thing to meet the floor in, in you know, neither of us are doctors. Maybe you are. I don't know. No, but. I'm not. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a doctor of mixology, but not a, not there, of, of virology. There no. you go. Much more important for society to have people like you. Yeah. Uh, the – I lost my train of thought for a second. But, okay, so – the the floor is okay a baseline and who am I to say that the floor the the bare minimum for the 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 Pac-12 health and safety standards isn't good enough I, yeah. maybe it is good enough and maybe that's that's fine but some schools in the conference have taken it above and beyond what the minimum is for the conference and NCAA um, to meet their mandate 
And so when players are talking and they're talking about how often they're being tested and what the protocols are on campus, they're not the same. Yeah. All of them meet the minimum requirements, but a place like Stanford, which has more resources, is going above and beyond. USC, I know, is is, is taking things above and beyond, and, and I know USC is very low on cases. Stanford, at, but Stanford, even with all the resources they have, you know, due to the you know just the type of academic institution it is, they've had double-digit cases um, on the football team. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that's actually publicly reported. Maybe we're talking about breaking news here, but Stanford's had Stanford has had double-digit um, cases. Yeah positive on its roster and so you know if you're even if you're talking about the the schools that are going above and beyond and are still having problems you know what are we doing and again i don't know i mean i don't know what's right and wrong here i can only kind of you know talk about like what's what's happening on these campuses but it's it's there's certainly no consensus about the, the best way to move forward I think kind of the last kind of bringing it together part here that I, w- I want to get to is is that something you talked about and I talked about earlier on the podcast is that, you know, they can, schools can kind of crow about how this is about health and safety and yada, 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 but this is about money. This is about the, the game is gone. Amateurism is dead as we know it. If basically what the institutions are admitting at this point is that, look, this is a special class of student. They need to be here so we can make money. And God forbid if with these unity movements, the players really and truly figure it out and unionize. and Because the schools know that at that point, it's over. Like I, and there, there are schools, including Wazoo, that you're, now you're talking about whether the program can survive at all if we're having to talk about paying players directly. So that that is probably really what this is about, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and I don't... And people will criticize that, but that's just the reality of it. And I think it's natural for the people who are running athletic departments to want to save the jobs of people in the athletic department. Right? Yeah. There is, yep. You understand that perspective too. And so balancing all of those things, that's why there's, that's why it's, this has been such a slow moving process because no one, these athletic directors don't want to be the ones who, uh, you know, who they have to do massive layoffs on their watch. I think right. Pat Chun early on, was quoted as saying something along the lines of it would be an Armageddon type of situation if we didn't have football back when March Madness was being canceled because the economic, you know, the problems that will come without being football are not small, right? They're significant and it's going to cost people jobs. I mean, I cover college football for a living. You know, if there's no college football, do I have a job? You yeah. know, a, a lot of us, it's, it, it's, it's wide reach. I don't, you know, I, I think it's funny too when people criticize college football reporters for talking about the, uh, uh, that you don't want football to happen. You guys are, this is a fear thing. No, listen, man, I, I, I'm a, my uh, skin is in this game, the college football game, just as much as, as everyone else. And so it's, it's, it's going to be really bad for our community, our, our college football community as a whole. Um, you know, and so it, it's it's sad, and um, but you know, health and safety have to have to come first. Yep. And I think every, at the end of the day, we just got to acknowledge that this is it's just a bad thing, right? There's yep. what else can you really say? We don't want to. No, we <laughs> don't want to. No, we don't about want how them. how no. bad it is, but it's just, it's it's just too bad it's, it's happened like this. And uh, hopefully by 2021, everyone's got their act together, and we yeah. can return to some sense of normalcy. Speaking of that, before we let you go, real quick, um, the Pac-12 going after that loan that uh, John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News reported. I think I, you know, again, I, you know, as much as Larry Scott has kind of been a bumbling fool over the years at the at the helm of the Pac-12, this seems like a really good idea to 
leverage what's left of the TV contract to get some money just in case your schools need it. And it sounds like the conference will take the responsibility to pay it back until the new TV contract's in. That should help, should it not? Because I know there are some schools that aren't going to take any money. There are some schools that will take a little. And there are some schools like Wazoo and probably Oregon State, maybe Utah, that take a pretty significant chunk of change. Yeah, I think that's it's significant and a good thing that the conference is pursuing um, avenues that will help the athletic departments um, in the wake of this, right? Because if they just sat on their hands and did nothing, that's really reason for criticism. So I, I do think the Pac-12 does deserve some credit for trying to go outside the box and try to find some ways to help keep these athletic departments operating as, as, as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in light of uh, everything that's happened. And, and the, the, the loan thing is interesting because it's actually something that they first discussed as a, you know, are we, do we have this capability as much as 18 months ago? And they talked about it with their schools to help um, kind of keep them afloat just to get to the next TV contract then, right? So this is something that has been worked on for, for well over a year. And right. they decided to shelve it as a, as a concept um, when it was clear that the schools didn't, didn't want to go that route. Uh, when there was no need to, right? Just under under normal circumstances. But now that um, now that the uh, usual circumstances are so far behind us, um, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if some if some athletic departments tap into that as an opportunity. Pa- Kyle Boniger of ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Bonagura ESPN. Thank you for your expertise, sir. And I fingers crossed. Although I we're we're most of the way down the road, and we can see the bridge that needs crossing. I'm hoping the bridge goes up. And we don't need to cross it with no college football. But thank you for your expertise in this matter. And then while I am proud to be an ESPN staff writer, I like to say on this podcast that I'm an ESPN staff writer by way of the Daily Evergreen. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, you went to Wazoo. You know, yeah, you know, I don't know if you've been back since the Cougs started serving liquor, but it's it's jarring. Let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I never had any problem finding liquor when I was in No, I don't think anybody really did. No, no, they didn't. Thank you again, Kyle. Appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me. Many thanks again to Kyle Bonagura taking time out from his extremely busy schedule as he cares for a young baby, as I am now. And now that's all I can talk about is my baby. Same way before, I go, all I could talk about was my cats or the cougs. And it was a very boring person to have a conversation with, really. Uh, all of that, and now we need to talk about C.J. Ellaby. I think I talked about it earlier, like, goodness me, how does that get bumped all the way down the podium? How does your best player... Since Clay Thompson leaving early for the draft get bumped all the way down to this part of the show. And it ties in to coronavirus, to COVID-19 again, as do most things these days, unfortunately. You can't really go anywhere or do anything without having to talk about it or know about it. Um, But I was surprised, to say the least, to see... CJ say that, hey, I'm going to keep my name in the draft. I'm not coming back to Wazoo. Thanks to Coach Smith and, you know, Wazoo for being a home for me for two years. Um, it was surprising to say the least. I know that off the top, you know, a lot of mock drafts did not have him particularly high. Uh, you know, you're talking about late second round or a signee after the draft at best generally. Um, and I think we all kind of thought before the season, you know, that if if he gets a guarantee from a team that, look, if you're there in round two, we're going to take you or we're going to sign you, that maybe that's something he considers. But that his decision is kind of forced again because of the coronavirus and that 
the NBA season is not going to end until next month, and that means their draft gets pushed back, but the NCAA is not going to push back that date past what it was on August 3rd to make a decision to stay in the draft or not. And his hand was kind of forced to make that decision very, very early. And I I believe he has said that it at least had something to do with the fact that if he's playing professionally, he's guaranteed income. He, He gets income, right? If he's not playing, if he's playing in college, he's not making money. And that is, that's a consideration. I think for everybody, it was a consideration for D'Angelo Casto in much different circumstances than what C.J. Ellaby finds himself in. But it's a consideration for all athletes that, look, if I, if I think I can be making money playing this sport, then why would I continue to do it for free? And that's a consideration James Williams made, and unfortunately he made the wrong decision uh, when it came to that last year. But I again, you know, as much as I've talked about in the past, I generally side with players. I'm going to generally side with them in these cases, even if I don't think it's a good idea. And I don't think this is a good idea from the standpoint of LB getting drafted. But if he feels like, you know, he's better served leaving now, not knowing what could happen this fall or winter and spring then I also totally understand that because again, this is, it's, it's not my life, you know, that I get to, you know, say what happens in or have a, you know, uh, you know, have any input in it's his life. He can do what he wants with it. Um, but it was unexpected to say the least. I, I mean, you saw some really incredible flashes from him last year, especially against Washington. Boy, did he play well against the Huskies last year. He had that late three pointer to seal the win against Arizona State uh, that was so pretty, and I'm always going to remember that shot. I, don't, I, I just, it is seared into my memory. Uh, and I, I, we, we watched him really develop into quite a scoring threat this year. He, he already was last year, but uh, this past season, or you know, the year before this one, uh, but this last season he was just quite a scoring threat. Defensively, he took quite a step forward as well. We kind of knew he was a good defender, Uh, his first year, his freshman season, but goodness me, did he take another great step forward doing that this year. I just, I thought personally that another year of seasoning, kind of a la Clay Thompson, because he had a somewhat similar season to Clay's sophomore year, where Clay was maddeningly inconsistent uh, that entire season, just up, down, all over the place his sophomore year. I, I can remember uh, you know, a multiple multiple game stretch in January and February where he was just having horrid games. You know, under 10 points, terrible shooting, and then he kind of got it together at the end of the year, and then that junior year is what propelled him uh, to be a lottery pick. So I think that, you know, it's... I don't think this is the best decision if everything were normal, and I think if everything were normal... C.J. Ellaby would probably be back at Washington State next year. Um, But everything is not normal. Everything is not how it should be right now. And so if you're him, that's probably a consideration you make because uh, you don't know what this winter holds. And if you don't play, what does that do for your professional prospects? So are you comfortable enough with your professional prospects now rather than sitting out a year, potentially, and then in your, you know, I, I don't even know what we're going to do with eligibility for football players, for anybody who doesn't have a season this year, but whatever 2021-2022 would be, 
you know, are you comfortable going that long without playing? And I think the answer to that is he's just not. He's just not comfortable doing that. And that's fine. Because if he's playing professionally, if he's playing in the NBA, he's getting paid, obviously. And I'm not sure if G League players are represented by the players union or if they have their own union but at the very least he's being paid professionally he's going to have some representation of some kind he's going to have an agent he's going to have all that good jazz so I think you know this is a rare time when I say I think they would have really benefited from another year in school um but 99% of the time I'm going to side with the player here and I'm, I'm only wishing the best of luck to CJ in his professional endeavors it was such a treat to get to watch him for two years and I think that's another thing we always need to remember is it's 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 always a privilege to watch these men and women play for Washington State the time we get them um the time we get to have them so I I I want to say that to him he doesn't listen to this podcast unless he does and thanks for playing CJ we really appreciate it but um I know I'll always remember it and we just I I wish him all the best of luck I think everybody should everybody generally has to I'm not saying anybody hasn't but um all the best of luck to you CJ uh, in your professional endeavors. I wish we could have had you for another year, and I think if everything were a little different, uh, we probably would have. Let's just go straight to it. Let's get to the Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. Dunderhead of the Week time. It's been weird to watch golf without crowds. I've, I've been happy because I think that's kind of like of all the sports I like to watch. It's kind of the most normal one like it's been really tough for me to watch the nba and nhl with no fans because there's so many thousands of people you know packed in so tight and so you know the the crowd is so integral to that game and it's it's been tough for me to watch either of those uh during this restart mls too it's kind of been i watch the sounders but even then if i missed a game i was kind of like eh, you know whatever uh they're gonna restart later this month but we'll see how interested i am in that um but the pga championship started last thursday and congrats to colin morikawa by the way holy crap that drive on 16 that ended up like six feet from the hole and he eagled it oh wow uh (laughs) but on thursday i was watching some feature groups on espn plus and curtis strange has been doing uh commentary on espn plus and he's quickly approaching Johnny Miller territory for me um, in terms of his insufferability. Um, at, so, prior after what I'm about to tell you, he admonished somebody for peeking through the fence uh, to watch, and he, and he says on the broadcast, "Buy a ticket." Okay, uh, <laughs> like you can't, no crowd allowed. It's just a guy trying to watch from the street. Um, but I don't remember who the golfer was that he was talking about, but, you know, a bad shot, and the golfer looks upset at his club, and Curtis Strange says, and I quote, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, so I shouldn't say and I quote, but he basically says something along the lines of, um, you know, as we used to say, and this is actually the directly quote part, uh, it's the Indian, not the arrow. Dude, come on, bud. I just... (laughs) That it is 2020. That statement probably wasn't great 20 years ago. It's certainly not great now. Oh, God. Just... Don't say it's the Indian, not the arrow. Not a good one. Not great. Don't care for that. 
Not good. Curtis Strange, Dunderhead of the Week. And I did it on a Thursday. I had plenty to pick from in two and a half months, including my early diaper changing. Not great. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything. I mean anything. Indian, not the arrow. Jesus. At pod versus everyone, podcast versus everyone. How many times has your daughter pooped out her diaper and onto you? None yet. She's too young. She's only three weeks old. So like the poops aren't like, you know, like going to like come flying out of there, you know? Uh, yeah, she hasn't done it yet. She has spit up on me. That wasn't fun. Oh, well. Uh, at CQGatey606, social distancing, Sean. Not so hypothetical. College football is canceled this year. What are three acceptable alternate activities to fill the football-shaped void? Uh, golf is a great one. It takes up, you know, five to six hours, including transit to and from. It's a great one to take up. Uh, smoking meat is fun. Uh, and I, I think we kind of all kind of shot our wad, not to be too graphic here, but we got, we kind of, we kind of got in on the old game and early in quarantine things. So I would say watch old games, but there's not too many left for me, uh, to watch. So I would say to play, uh, PGA tour 2k 21, I think it's coming out later this month. I'll probably play a lot of that when the baby's sleeping. Speaking of that at zoo 34 confirmation bias over under on hours slept tonight. I'm with you with a two and a half week old right now. Congratulations. Uh, She's like been sleeping kind of weird. Like there are some nights where she go, she's great. She sleeps for like four and a half hours right off the bat. And then she wakes up for an hour to get fed, burped and put back down. And then she goes for three hours and then she wakes up for an hour. And then she goes for like another two hours. So like some nights she's great. And then other nights she just decides like from midnight to five, like, no, you guys are going to be awake. You guys are going to be awake right now. Don't care. Uh, at totes McStose, Eric, what's the over under on games played by the Cougs this season? <laughs> You gotta set it at half of one because it's either gonna be none of them or all of them probably. So that's what I would say. At WSU Brady 27L, Rolo Loco, why can't we have nice things? You know why. <laughs> we don't deserve them. Sean Doolittle, I think a pitcher for the Nationals put it a really good way. It's like sports are a reward for figuring this out. And we haven't figured it out. At Mr. Tommy G-Man, Tom Gialanella, please describe in vivid detail how Mike Leach would handle collective bargaining. Oh, boy. A lot of coughing. A lot of anger and being grateful. And I don't think they deserve, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> these opportunities. And I, if my beer could be a cup of coffee, he'd have that. It would be a, a tour de force in how to not handle it. Let's put it that way. At Gilded Taco, Nomageddon. I love that. Since football isn't happening, does Cougar Country need to make a bulk delivery to Western Washington for pickup? I say yes. And actually, I talked with my wife about this, is if at one point the baby gets to be well-behaved enough that we think we can do a night away, it might be nice to go over to Pullman for a night to try and support as many local businesses as we can. You know, I mean, just just something or or even, you know, if we get to a point where the baby we're comfortable with the baby being away for a night, you know, just something like that where I, and I think it's a good idea that you, you still if you're comfortable traveling to go over there and still, um, you know, still support local businesses and do that and try to do something like that. It wouldn't be as big as a football weekend, but it might help in some way at Ron shot Ron shot. If you could swap any past season with this season that won't happen, which one and why any of them from the whole era? <laughs> Uh, 09 or 2010. 
either of those, really either. Didn't win an Apple Cup, didn't even get that. Uh, at least in 2011, they won four times. And they, that great Marquise Wilson catch at the end of the Colorado game, I do remember that. Uh, but yeah, 09, when we stormed the field against SMU after winning in double overtime. Yeah, I get, actually, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that one exactly, because at least in 2010, they beat Oregon State and Corvallis. So, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to roll with that one. Uh, at Green CPA, Brian Setzler, who does, who do I think is going to win the MLS back tournament? Isn't it Portland and uh, Orlando in the final? Portland, probably, and it kills me to say that as a Seattle Sounders fan. It stinks. I don't know when we'll be back. We'll see when. But probably next week to talk about a canceled season. But, I mean, it's it's just all up in the air. Everything's up in the air. And this show is nothing without uh, without college sports. So if anybody says these writers want to see college football canceled, I don't. I miss it. You know I love sitting on the couch for 12 hours on a Saturday. We'll talk to you later on the Cook Center Hour.